Peace Misfits and welcome to The Healing Space, a black and queer mental health podcast geared toward proving there's more than one way to heal. I am Sensei Raven Akundayo and wow, we are in December. It is the end of the year, the very last month. The year of the Phoenix is almost at its conclusion and what a year it's been but we're gonna save that for the very last episode of the year (laughs) it's just kind of blowing my mind right now like there's been a lot that's taken place this year a lot a lot that episode's gonna be something else but we're gonna focus on this episode and i want to actually get right into my conversation that i had with my dear friend yolo akili robinson uh, it's a healing conversation that I think was much needed for the show. I've wanted to have him on here for some time. And I hope that you guys pick up some wonderful gems from this conversation. I enjoyed it, and I hope you do as well. And we'll see you on the other side. Enjoy. Yolo Akili Robinson is a community organizer, healing justice worker, yoga teacher, and the executive director and founder of BEAM. He's also the author of the social justice-themed affirmation book, Dear Universe, Letters of Affirmation and Empowerment for All of Us. This brother has been putting in the work for years, helping to shine a light on health and wellness, especially for people of color. Misfits, it is my honor to welcome Yolo Akili Robinson to the healing space. Welcome, sir. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've wanted you here for a long time, so this is pretty awesome. Nice, nice. I was um, telling Raven before this actual recording began, <laughs> you know, we were already having conversations that we need to revisit so you all can actually hear them. Extensive. An extensive conversations. <laughs> so there's a lot of good stuff we want to dive into, you know. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so I have all these written questions, so we're going to have to like kind of put those in in between the organic conversation that's mm-hmm. taking place, okay? Mm-hmm. So uh, the one thing that I can remember we were talking about you asked me to hold off on was that uh, it was it was more so a thought. I mean, I guess you can you can touch on it, but it was something I had noticed. I was telling him that I, I always study people, and I've mentioned this on the podcast, that I'm always paying attention, always analyzing the way people operate. Human behavior has always been so intriguing to me. So one of the things I noticed about you is that you have lived in what I consider to be two of the most pretentious cities <laughs> in the country. Um well, no, three. Jesus. Uh, L.A., D.C., and Atlanta. And you have continued to operate in a space where you didn't... F- you. How, what's the best way I can put this? You are of the people, but not necessarily within the people. And I've always appreciated that about you. So I can explain. He's looking at me like... <laughs> like, like, go a little further mean? in that. You you do the work, but you don't feel the need to be a part of the gang. At least that's what I've noticed in all the years I've known you. I've known that for you, it doesn't... The amount of people you have, I say walking with, but others would say follow on social media. That doesn't matter to you. It does The, the numbers don't matter to you. From the outside looking in, you don't need to be a part of all of the, the cliques or the more well-known people. You do the work, and if it just so happens that you end up in their space, then that's what it is. But you don't need to be within the company of these people. Now, I say all of this and you can, you know, tell me how on the nose I am or if I'm not. But it's one of the things I've always appreciated about you is that it's always looked like the work comes first and everything else comes after that. 
And I appreciate it because there are people who are within the field of what it is that we do where it seems like it's it's what they do, but the notoriety means more. And for you, it has never looked like the notoriety means more. And it's something that I respect about you. So, yeah, I just wanted to share that. Yeah, that's that's an interesting perspective. Um, Yeah. So one, I have lived in all those cities. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a firm believer of, you know, what makes a city really great or a place great is really finding your people in it. Yeah. You know, community is what really makes any location great. And some cities and some places are easier to find your people in than others. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in DC, I had a difficult time finding the kind of people that are connected to uh, how I approach life in the world. Right. Um, you know, and lesser so in Atlanta, mm -hmm. lesser so in Los Angeles. But I think it really does, um, it's really about finding your tribe, right? Your folks. Yeah. You know, it's a big part of it. Um, as far as the other piece, you know, I think a part of my own wellness work is being intentional about what space I share with people. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that we do live in a culture where notoriety, all those things do matter. They're significant. And at the same time, for me, um, yeah, the work is central, but also the work for my own healing work is really choosing to be in space with people who um, who share my ethics, who share values with me, who are interested in kind of connecting um, through authenticity and not through performance for social media for these other right. Events, right? So those are people I trust, people I love, and those people I'm with. And some of those people are, you know, people that might be considered to have large platforms. Some of them are not. Right. right? Like, you know, and so I think that's important for me because I think good people are like good medicine, you know, like mm. they keep you, they keep you sustained, they keep you nourished. And um, if you have, you know, not good medicine around you, right. you know, you'll be unwell, you know, yeah. it'll foster unwellness, you know. Absolutely. Okay, so I, I think what we can do is we can kind of throw in the organic in between the, mm -hmm. the set questions that I have. Mm -hmm. So I'll go to the first set question that oh, I had for you, okay, okay. which is, uh, when did the seed of service first begin to bloom in your spirit? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, when did the seed of service first begin to bloom in my spirit? That's such a raven question. <laughs> um, I think, you know, it's been a journey like anyone else. Um, I think that I, you know, had the, op the privilege to really go to institutions where I was able to study things like race and gender and wellness. And those things kind of compelled me to want to contribute to the world in a way that can help create a different um, way we engage those things. You mm -hmm. know, of course, I grew up in families and in communities where I saw um, conflict and harm and different things happening in ways that I thought this wasn't necessary mm -hmm. through other routes. And so I think that, like, looking at it from a childhood perspective, that really kind of, like, um, drove me as an adult to really kind of say, what what work can I do? How can I contribute to the world in a way that, like, actually helps us um, build skills, change behaviors, build communities that don't create the harm that I saw so much of, you know, like they're right. actually like getting like, and what does that look like? And so that's so much of my work now is like really, um, um, really conceptualizing and building skills and training and education around like, this is what we've learned. We need to unlearn a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And we need to learn here are some things we can learn that could be helpful as tools right. as we're, to help us be in community and love and partnership and support with each other in ways that allow us to kind of like be our full luminous selves. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. So like, so um, I'm 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 gonna throw a wheel in the thing because I love the me and Raven had this really great conversation. We're talking about patterns and relationships. Mm -hmm. and I really want to talk about this piece. Yes, we're <laughs> on to some stuff, right? And so like, I'm a big believer that 
a large part of what we seek in relationships sometimes as adults is influenced by what the patterns that we saw um, as young as young children. Right? Yeah. And when I say it's our primary caregivers, not just our mom and dad, but auntie, uncles, cousins, people, right? Like mm-hmm. you see those things and consciously, sometimes unconsciously, we see those things and we make choices about as a child how we're going to like how we're going to interpret those things yeah and those interpretations often sit with us throughout our lives Mm -hmm. right so you know for example i always say with myself you know really um you know recognizing like okay i'm inviting a lot of men in my life who have tempers yeah and i grew up with a father who had a temper Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like and so i'm like what is that about for me when i say that i want something else but this is what feels familiar right. and, what is, and where the sexual energy is present and all those things, right? And so I started to really recognize that there was a part of me that was so comfortable with that energy because I had grown up, grown up with it, mm-hmm. right? And so it was like the back brain. I was like the back of the head. It was like that, yeah. the other brain. And um, a part of my healing and saying I don't want that pattern was really recognizing that a part of me was trying to resolve the the challenges I have with my father through these relationships. Mm-hmm. And when I started resolving that work within my own therapy, like with doing my work within myself, there was no need for that to show up in my own partnerships. Right. Anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there was no need for me to, to, to unconsciously, because it's not conscious. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like you literally just like you find this person, like you're really attracted to them that feels so good and easy. And then like six months later, you're like, you remind me of my mom. Yeah. You remind me of my dad. Why is that happening? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you know, and like, and so, um, and 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 remind sometimes reminding us of mom or dad in ways that they're not necessarily interested in evolving or growing through those dynamics. They just want to stay in that dynamic. Yeah. Right. Which isn't which is the unhealthy part. Yeah. Because right? we can we can date and be in relationship with people who remind us of caregivers. Mm-hmm. But if there's work present where we're both going to like work through and we have a commitment to working through because like that whatever dynamics are present, then that could be a really fruitful and beautiful relationship. Right. But if not. It's just toxicity and patterns consistently, right? And so I think that um, that is a really powerful piece. I think that people always say, and I, I think the question I always ask myself is like, what what was the compulsion within me that allowed me to continue to allow this into my life? Yeah. What was I trying to resolve, and how was this relationship serving me? How was this dynamic serving me? Even though I say this is not what I want, but I'm still saying yes to it. I'm still I'm still inviting it into my life. How is it serving me? And mm-hmm. I found out for me myself, it was serving me because it was like creating that space where one, I had to constantly prove I was the the good guy, right? I wanted mm-hmm. to constantly prove that I could please someone, which is all little YOLO stuff, right? Yeah. And so I think it's so important, like when we talk about healing work, is that we have to recognize the choices that we are make we make are so influenced by things that run much deeper than we're accomplished. Absolutely. Awareness, Absolutely. Right? You know? Yeah. And that and that like sometimes you know I hear relationship people talk about relationships, especially black gay men or black same gender loving men. It's like he, those other guys, those other guys, and it's like, well, you're you you you, you put something in the pot too, but Absolutely. you season something in the pot. And something in this pot served you Something that's something you you're this dynamic you either addicted to or connected to. Mm-hmm. What is that? Because once I interrupt the pattern, it can't continue. Right. You know what I mean. Right. But if I am still unconscious of it, it will perpetuate itself. You know. I I feel like in every relationship, and this is how I navigate. I can't. I can't, and I genuinely can't. I'm sure I could, but I don't want to leave a relationship, and that's friendship. You know, that's romantic. Um, where I don't learn something. I think it's of great importance for me to learn something out of every relationship I have. So when I come out of a romantic relationship, I always think to myself, what is it that I've learned? 
it's actually the reason why I knew that my last relationship hadn't ended. Like we took a break and then came back together again. I knew it wasn't over because I hadn't learned anything. And I was like, no, like, like this, this feels wrong. You know, I, I left it and it just felt like there was anger. And I'm like, I know we were meant to learn something from one another. So going back to what you said, as far as um, caregivers, I know that my mother played a huge part in it for what it is that I put into the pot first, my judgment, you know, uh, that has been my ultimate thing, 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 excuse me, that I fought against. A lot of people that I've met, that I have uh, come across, friends, romantic relationships, anger has been the number one thing for them. That's the thing they fight against. For me, it's been judgment. I've never been a really angry person, but I have been a very judgmental person. Uh, when I was younger, I had a very Darwinian way of thinking. And so I've had to kind of fight against that. So when I've been in relationships, when it when I had to think about my part that I played and why it didn't work out, I I would look at people and I don't I don't know if it was necessarily shaming because I didn't really verbalize a lot of stuff when it came to that, but I would look down on them, you know, and I would look at them like you're not doing the work, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, and I would internally turn off from them, you know. Uh, on the flip side. I think I was comfortable with anger. And going back to what we were saying before we uh, got on the podcast, offline conversation, you were saying to me as far as, um, it slipped from my mind just that quickly. I I would, uh, the, the saving portion, mm-hmm. I would always feel like, okay, there we go. It's coming back to me now. I, w- I always looked at my mom like, I wish that there was a way for me to be able to quell your anger, mm-hmm. you know? And I think I got into relationships with people who my last, my last ex was literally two days before my mother. Mm. And it, it's a thing of, I'm going to be able to do it. Mm. I can do it. Mm. I can finally be able to get this anger from you. And if I can get it out of you, then yeah. that will be what I've been looking for my entire life. And that is literally the piece of what I was just, we were just sharing. Like, yeah. Right. Like the, the subconsciously, like, yes. cause all, cause even with the, the, the similarity in terms of the birth dates, right? Like mm-hmm. I had a partner who's had the one birthday after my father. Right. right. And so it's like, it's almost as the universe is saying, I'm trying to show you a pattern. Yeah. I'm trying to show you what's happening. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes we're asleep to it. Yeah. Right. And I think that like, um, that's such a big part of our healing, particularly when we're, um, cause, cause we're, cause all of our relationships, not just even our romantic relationships. Right. We're subconsciously trying to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. some, something. Absolutely. We're like a hold something. Right. Absolutely. And if one of us are like, you know, some of us as not, we're not conscious of that. We're not aware of that. And mm-hmm. we're not actually actively engaging in behaviors to address that. It kind of, it can become a real serious roadblock yeah. in the relationship building. Right. Like yeah. It becomes a barrier. Um, so that's just like a huge piece of healing. I love what you said about the judgment too. Like, when I find myself in that space, because I think judgment in and of itself is evaluation. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not necessarily judgment that I think is a problem. I think the condescension is the problem, yes. right? Yes. So it's one thing to evaluate. We evaluate things all the time. We evaluate whether we want to buy those shoes, whether we want to get this car, where we want to move to. That's a judgment we yeah. made, right? But it's the condescension and the like belittling that is like the part of the, that we that I think we need to always interrogate. Right. And I noticed it for myself when I find myself in that place where I want to condescend to someone or feel above someone. I feel like that's a very common thing that we as humans are have been taught to build up an erroneous sense of self-esteem. It's like I feel more powerful mm-hmm. when you're underneath me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, that, and as opposed to feeling powerful with you when we're both in our agency, right. it's like I can feel powerful by putting you down. It's like shade and reading. And yeah. Jumping. It's like man, I, yeah. when I cut you down, I feel stronger. Yeah. And a lot of people... 
are addicted to that type of self-esteem build. Very it's much a so. false sense of self-esteem. Yes, right? it because, is. Because they, they might be like, let me cut you down and read you because that makes me feel powerful and makes me feel strong, whether it's an intellectual critique, whether it's uh, you know your shoes, your clothes, whatever that is. Right. Because that, because um, that's how I've been taught to build self-esteem. I don't have self-esteem of character. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. self-esteem of integrity because I know what, what I'm willing to do. Right. You know what I mean? For whatever, to look good or whatever. So I don't have those pieces. So I need to rely on this strategy for my self-esteem building. But like, it's erroneous. It erodes. It's, yes, it does. It also consistently creates more violence and harm around yes. people. Because people need to feel smaller than you. you right. I, mean? I think we all learned that strategy. We live in the United States of America. We live in a capitalist society, mm-hmm. a patriarchal society. So that power over model is something we all get. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Like, And so um, undoing it is like a constant journey. Constant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I... I I'm all about evolution and not just evolution, but being able to bear witness to evolution. Mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful thing. And I always acknowledge it, not only within myself, but when my friends make note of it. I'm like, it's so special because I feel like when you do, you are less likely to fall back. We're not perfect, so it'll happen, you know. But I feel like it makes it a little less likely when you actually see your evolution taking place. Mm-hmm. And I say that to once again go back to the condescension. I know that I've gotten better with it because my friends who exist in my life now make mention of it. Everyone tells me, they're like, you know what, like Kevin uh, from the Outline Podcast, for those of you who are listening. Hey, Kevin. Right. For those of you listening, we mention each other on each other's shows all the time. But uh, he brings to my attention all the time that one of the things he loves about me most is that I don't judge him. He can share everything with me, and I never try to put him down. And I told him, I said, this is something I've worked on for years because I, I was one of those people. It was like, I don't think that's good for you. I, this moral high ground was not a game. You hear me? Like I sat atop this throne and it's like, no, not you. Yes, you. No, not you. But it's it's such a wonderful place to exist in where because people have always felt like they could come to me and talk. But it looks different now. You know, uh, the the reaction that I have where I have learned something that my father taught me. Years ago, and I always I always did it, but I would give a pause and then a follow-up, mm-hmm. where now I just do it, which is listen. Don't listen to speak. Mm-hmm. Listen, mm-hmm. you know? And my mom, admittedly, is something she still fights with, but what she loves about my dad and I is that we do it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've definitely listened to him, and now I allow myself to be in a space where I take in everything you say, mm-hmm. and then I allow myself to be able to think about it, digest it. And then if you want me to... Mm-hmm. I can give you feedback right, because exactly. some people just need you to listen sometimes. Some you listen. Like being a compassionate witness is something so powerful, right? It's yeah. listening to someone as opposed to listening to fix. Right. I think that like a lot of times as men we're socialized to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like sometimes it's not, I actually don't want you to fix anything. I actually just want you to listen. Listen, to yes. But like a lot of us don't have the, haven't had the space or the time to like even say we can say that. Right. So like I just want to be heard, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's so important. Another piece that you touched upon that I really want to highlight too is the developmental piece, yeah. like, right? Like, um, what does it mean to be in relationship with people who are in different developmental stages of their lives yeah. in terms of their awareness? And how do we hold that space with them in ways that aren't integrity but don't feel like condescension, don't feel like I'm better than you, you're less than me, mm-hmm. right? And that's, once again, the contrary to everything we have learned in this culture, right? right? It's, so it's embedded in us to, to, to behave and engage people like that. Um, I think for me, when I've, um, there have been times in which relationships, I've invited people into my life 
who I knew developmentally were not in the same space that I was in. Yeah. And was dating them based off of the idea of who they could be, right. not who they were in this moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, so I, so I created this fictional boyfriend that wasn't them, had nothing to do with them. And nothing. Six months, eight months, and <laughs> yes. now they could be something completely different. Yes. But I was in love with that, and not in love with the reality of where they were. Yeah, in right? love with the idea of what the they could become, what they become. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that 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 is such a. It's such a toxic and dangerous thing to do. Is and it's something that we all can fall prey to, as opposed to saying that like this is where you are developmentally in your life. Yeah, and this is the relationship that I can have with you based off what you can right share with me in this moment. Yeah, and so some of that might mean that like me and you are not in a romantic relationship. Right, right. Me and you are in friendship. Yeah, right. But I have to. You have to be mindful that sometimes I think what drives the desire to imagine someone else as someone as something that can be in the future is the scarcity the yes sense that, like there are not enough men yes, are there, yes. are the, are the loneliness mm-hmm. the sense that like I'm lonely so I'm going to create an image of you right I will engage and then once you crack that facade and become and show me that you're really you yeah not the boy that I want to date six months from now I'm angry right yeah so it's like you like we have to be mindful of like um how we hold that. Yeah. Like, you know, how that projection shows up. And really, like, honoring that, like, people are on their own healing journeys and their own path. Absolutely. And people will reveal to you where they are in their path. Mm-hmm. And it's up for you to understand, understand, of us to understand and continually understand, what do I need to feel loved? What do I need to feel grounded? Yeah. What do I feel need to feel emotionally centered? And can this person provide that? And if they can't provide that, that's not a judgment on them. Right. It's, an, it's, it's just an awareness. This is where they're at in their journey. Yep. And they can't provide and that. And they can't provide that. Right. And exactly. So, and so I need to cultivate relationships with people with the understanding of what they can provide and what they cannot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that's... A, that's um. That's maturity. It takes. I think that comes through wisdom. Sometimes mm-hmm. the wisdom of experience in yeah. hard times, right? Like I tell people all the time, people are like, "Well, how do you come to these things?" It's like, "Well, girl, by fucking up." Listen, now, you know what I mean? Facts, complete facts. Your yes. fuck ups, <laughs> ideally, your fuck up should lead you into the mirror to be like, "What choices what? am I making?" Yes. What decisions and where do my and cho- what's compelling me to my choices and my ideas? We don't come to our beliefs about relationships, mm-hmm. our beliefs about things, without something influencing. Yeah, them, right. You Absolutely. Know? So, like, I, another piece I talk about all the time is that I spent some of my early relationships trying to prove to men that I was a good partner, mm-hmm. right? Because, because um, and my dynamic with my father was he had this really bad temper, which is about his own trauma, right? right. His own trauma being a black man in the military, his own trauma um, with male socialization, emotional health, all those pieces. Yeah. But, of course, a little boy, you could not understand that. Right. So, what I felt was daddy was mad because I wasn't good. So, yeah. if I was more good, if I got good grades, if I cleaned the house a certain mm-hmm. way, if I cleaned the yard, then dad would not be mad. But that never happened, right? Because dad was mad about things that had nothing to do with that. Come on. Right? Yes. Like, you know what I mean? They were yes. deeper about his own journey and what yeah. he had to work through but like that idea that if i carry i carry that idea on yeah like and it wasn't even like conscious i'm thinking like let me be proven i'm good it was that little yolo still doing that yeah you know what i mean and so i think it's that's why it's such it's such a huge piece to be like what are my ideas about relationships what do i think relationships should look like right what do i think relationships should be where before did that come you, from? um real quick because yeah. before you move on from what you were saying about your father I, something very important that i wanted to bring up because that that hits home for me mm-hmm. And that is, I, in my last relationship, I had finally verbalized something that I thought in several of my relationships prior, but I finally verbalized it to him. And that was learning to compartmentalize your anger. Mm. And the conversation that we had was that he and, you know, I I don't want to put all of his business out there, so I want to be careful. 
But there was certain trauma that he was dealing with, as you and I are talking about with our parents, with his parents. And it showed up in the way that he treated me. Mm -hmm. And again, going back to my mom, I told him, I said, one of the things that I used to battle with my mother is that with her in the line of work she was in, she was law enforcement. Mm -hmm. She would come home and she would have anger and that anger would come out towards me. Now, mind you, best mother, you know, she did everything in the world for me, Mm -hmm. but anger. And the way that it would show up is that I would sit there as a kid and I would be like, but this has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. So I get in this relationship with him and I'm like, okay, I'm going to finally put words to what it is I've been feeling in these past relationships. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why is it that you're coming at me mm-hmm. with what it is that you're feeling when you've told me from the very beginning? And to, to jump back a little bit, I was aware of what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't a subconscious situation with me where I was like, oh, okay, you anger, got you. Mm-hmm. No, I saw him. And to his credit, he showed me who he was. Mm-hmm. I believed him. Mm-hmm. And I kept going, mm-hmm. you know? And we said, yes, so, no, that's and that's the reason why I told him at the end of the relationship, I said, I need to make very clear to you, I don't blame you for anything that happened in this relationship. Mm-hmm. You never lied to me about who you were. Mm-hmm. I chose to keep operating Come in this now. space with you. Or I chose to believe what I wanted to well, believe. Listen, I told to myself you I was... Show, you show, you yes. showed me who you were. Yeah. And that's the real piece that's really hard, yeah. I think, in the self-forgiveness, right? I think yeah. for me and mm-hmm. myself. There are times when I look at the past partners who created harm in my life in ways I thought were just like, this was really, really harmful. I'm like, but he showed you who he was. Yes. And, but, but like... And it's also, but it's also how they have the moments where someone shows you who they are and you see it and you name it and they're like, I'm not that. Right. Because it's Ooh. not conscious for them. Yes. yes. Right. That. that. Like, almost you know? through my phone. And yes. so like, but, but, <laughs> that. And for some people it's not conscious of, of how they're showing up and how they're in the world. Yes. And I always say that like, I'm telling you, your intuition is such a powerful gift for you. It is. Because, it, and it's not to knock people. We all have parts of ourselves that yeah. we don't see. Mm-hmm. It was always something that somebody's bringing back to us. Yes. And some some people, that gap between behavior and belief is really wide. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah. Some's a little thinner. It's a little short. But it happens for all of us in certain ways. But, you know, it can be hard when you're... Because that's where gaslighting happens, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm not that. You right. Made, like, that's, I'm not that. And you're like, well, I keep seeing these things. Yeah. Which are spirits ways of, like, I'm trying to tell you. Yeah, he may not know this about it. People aren't always ready to, wait, to wake up at that particular time. Exactly. Yeah, the exactly. solar plexus chakra is real. Mm-hmm. Listen, <laughs> and I have had to learn how to trust my gut yeah. and be like, okay, listen, here's the deal. And trusting your gut is really powerful too. But it's also like I tell people, like it's like your inner compass. Yeah, right. But a compass sometimes can get gunk in it. Mm-hmm. It can get like the the cogs in the in the back of the watch can get messed up. Yeah. So sometimes you got to check that. Yes. Because sometimes we think we're being pulled to. Like I can tell you that like most of my life. The partners I thought that I was so in love was I was actually in trauma with. Mm, right? You know what I mean? Speak. And so when I say I was in trauma, it was like your trauma matched my trauma yeah. so well that here we go, we get an opportunity to reenact this mm, harm, which is mm. not what we say we want, but mm-hmm. it's what's happening. It's we're reenacting the harm yeah. that we experience at, because we're trying to work it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And so like as opposed to like when I think about being in love, being in love is being centered in each, centered in each other, like yourself. You're centered in yourself, right. sharing a path. There we and go. Being conscious of boundaries and those pieces. But when like, you're in trauma, it's seductive. Mm-hmm. And so, like you know, I tell people all the time. A lot of time that pull, we feel that we think they're like, "Oh, he's so sexy," or "She's so sexy." Some of that's trauma. Yeah, because it's so familiar. Yes. And then we get into yes. like the relationship is so toxic, it's so terrible. Well, that's a part of the trauma, mm-hmm. right? 
they're like it's seductive. Yeah. And so I think we have to be really mindful. Like, what am I here for? Right. What are my goals and my values? Do you share my goals and my values? Mm-hmm. Do you share my ethics? And then sometimes I think with men we have to be really careful too, because sometimes we have the intellectual thing, but not the behavior. Now. Yeah. We think they're like, oh, I I know this intellectually, but. Do you know? Have you embodied this? Right. Do you know? And not to knock people who still are on it, because we all yeah, are embodiment journeys. Exactly. Absolutely. But we have to ask ourselves, like, how far am I along? Am I really? Am I really intellectually doing this, or am I embodying? This? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Which one is really going down? And like being mindful of that piece, you know. I um, I'm looking at these questions now, and I'm like, I'm enjoying this conversation so much. I almost don't even want to touch on these questions. <laughs> let's, let's let it flow. Let's let it flow. Let's let it go. I mean, we have a lot of things we could talk about, you know. Okay, so I said uh, you've been doing healing work for years. Before we get into the specifics of some of the things that you've done, tell the misfits what wakes you up every day, keeping you consistent in wanting to help others. Well, you know, I'm very clear about what my purpose is, and mm-hmm. what I'm good at, and what I've been gifted to do. And so I think that like what propels me and compels me to get up every day. One, it's like really having beautiful and loving people around me. Yeah. I've been really blessed to have really great friends who challenge me, who support me and love me. And really creating a, a variety of different ways in my life that I that I experience pleasure, that I experience joy, that I experience um, being loved. Mm-hmm. You know, like and really being like, how can I create a life? You know, the thing with Susan, um, Susan, what can I think of her name at the moment? Susan, um, this woman, Susan, what's Susan's last name? She used to edit Essence, but I can't think of her last name. But um, Susan Miller, she says, like, create a life where you're constantly reminded of how how loved Mm -hmm. you are, how powerful you are, Mm -hmm. how beautiful you are. And I try to think about how can I create more of that? Mm -hmm. You know, because it's hard sometimes, right? Like, you know, there are days in which I wake up in which... Things don't go the way I want them to go, and I like suffer with depression, and I'm right. like, feeling like I just I'm feeling bogged down, mm-hmm. you know. And in those t- in those times, it's the other work that's been done with me around my circle with friends who help lift me up and carry me through those spaces, mm-hmm. right? You know. And so, really, like one honoring what I feel is a huge part of that. Whatever I feel, right? Even if it's I feel like fuck this, yeah. I want to honor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's the I, I always tell people like um. Your feelings are not good or bad. Mm-hmm. They're information. Yeah. Come on. Yes. Every yes, yes. day your life is trying to tell you some information. Yeah. And like, and if we're listening, we're like, oh, that's interesting information. Let me see how, what that's trying to tell me. Mm-hmm. But if we're repressing, yeah. it will return to us. Yes, I, my grandmother used to always say that like, what you bury in the backyard will one day show up on your front porch. Mm. And be like, hey, boo. Right. Remember, your, remember, <laughs> remember your mama issues? Remember issues in our last relationship? I'm back, girl. Yeah. I went away for a few months. Right. But I'm back. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And so I think that like really honoring what I'm feeling and what I'm going through even when I can't do something about it, even when that doesn't mean it, that it, and just because I have that feeling doesn't mean it changes my behavior. Mm-hmm. That's the important piece too. People always like, I, one of my pet peeves, Raven, is people say things like, um, you learn how to control your feelings. No, it's never yeah, ever yeah, yeah. about controlling your feelings. It's about owning your feelings yes but managing your behavior there we go because i can be angry and upset all day but i can't start throwing tables and hitting people that's right right Right, you know what i mean but i need to own what i'm feeling and that's a big piece of um what helps me feel healed and whole and just like lets me move through the waves of my feelings Mm -hmm. you know what i mean um, just really having that emotional perspective like not shooting on i should feel this way no it's not a should i feel this way right what is that trying to tell me right what, is that what can I learn from what this moment? What can I learn moment? from that yeah. this moment? What is it trying to tell me in my life? And what and how can I go from, from that? Space, Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so I think that um 
that's the piece that's like really helpful for me in my life. I think they're like creating joy, creating love, because it's what I want to see more of. Yeah, you know what I mean. I want to see more of this in the world, so that means that I have to like model and struggle mm-hmm. with the modeling, right? And fail at the modeling. And how do I handle the failure when I failed at the modeling? Right. Because right? you know, I think I'm always so mindful that I tell people that like I never want to anybody to ever perceive that like I'm perfect and that I don't do things that are like are challenging and and create harm for people that's yeah. not the reality right but what I want to ad- commit to is that even when I do those things that I commit to accountability right that I commit to acknowledging and owning taking ownership of my role in those things mm-hmm. right and I think that is the kind of world that I want to live in I, we will never live in a world where those things don't happen where perfection is a reality right but we can live in a world where people can take ownership and do the self-reflexivity, the ongoing self-reflexivity to see how we're showing up and how we're contributing to the pot that's being, that's brewing in our own lives. Right? right. You know? And I think that that's more important. The imperfection, the honesty is more important than the projection of the perfection. Mm, the projection, the of, projection the, like, of the perfection. Projection Listen. of the perfection. Projection of the I've got it all together. Projection of the like, you know, I'm better than those girls. All that mask that yeah. you put on, you know? Yeah. And so I think that like that keeps me going and keeps me kind of like <sighs> grounded, you know? It's interesting that you say that because I, again, always paying attention, always studying. I noticed something. This year, as the, the listeners, as the misfits are aware, I have had a very big battle with anxiety and depression. And I've made it very clear on the podcast. You know, I even did an episode on anxiety. And I noticed something on social media. There are a lot of people that I'm quote unquote friends with on social media where we exist in spaces together, but there's not a lot of interaction. Mm-hmm. However, it changed when I began to talk about those things. Mm-hmm. When I began to talk about anxiety and depression, they saw me, mm-hmm. you know, uh, capital S. And they began to interact. They began to like comments, you know, things of that nature. Um, a lot of uh, queer black men, mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, a good number of people who do the work that we do. And it's because it's, it's, it's an interesting situation. I personally, my intention is not to come off as if I have everything together. That's not my intention. I can't say what people's projected. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is what has taken place a lot Mm -hmm. is that people have projected on me that I am that person because when you operate in a space of wanting to be happy and optimistic, Mm -hmm. that's how you come off to people Mm -hmm. because of where they are in their own life. Mm -hmm. But it created a very interesting scenario for me, and I wanted to talk to you about this, because when it happened and when they began to see me, I said to myself, how should I feel in this moment? You know, like, did they feel like I, weren't being, I wasn't being authentic enough? Mm-hmm. Now that I'm sharing the pain that I'm going through because they can relate, they see me. Mm-hmm. Instead of it being a situation where it's like, okay, I love that he's always so optimistic. Mm -hmm. I may not necessarily be in that place in my life, Mm -hmm. but it's good to know that there are people out here who exist in that space. You know, know? I I think about this, uh, this, this kind of piece is like, I think about it called the Cardi B effect. Like, you know, (laughs) so there's something about Cardi B and I I love Cardi and Nicki. Mm -hmm. There's like something about Cardi that like really propels her because she's really authentic. Yeah. Relatable. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I, I think the piece that like when, when people 
are able to see just our joys, mm-hmm. you know, they begin to think that like we, they, they, the one dimensional life, we become one dimensional. Right. But there's something about like when we show the full spectrum of our who we are, mm-hmm. like I see that person that helps heal me because like I can't because none of us are optimistic, positive all the time. Right. You know, I tell people all the time. This is true. I don't want to be. I never have a desire to be positive. I have a desire to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I think honesty is what we need. Positivity is um, one part of honesty or, or you know, can be a part of honesty, but it also we need to be able to hold the nuances of the hard things as well. Right. There. So honesty is important, you know? But I think the optimism and sometimes can be read as, and I've seen this happen with some people, where optimism is sometimes repression and denial. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I feel like, well, like, I've been at points in my life where I've, I'm just trying to be positive, I'm trying to be positive. Right. What I'm really doing is I'm ignoring yeah. all this hard stuff as is it's a coping strategy. Yeah. And but it's a coping strategy has a consequence where all that hard stuff shows up some other pace in my life. Right. You know what I mean? And so I always tell people that like it's it's so important um and it's so powerful when we show up and show the full spectrum of who we are when we take ownership because it's it's healing somebody else. Yeah. And that um you know I always get really uh, nervous when I see people like only positive vibes, only good vibes. I'm like, no. Well, no, honey. We need all the vibes. Yeah, that's not real. You know, that's cause, Absolutely. Because if you got to bring me only your good vibes, then you're not being able to be, be your full self. Yes. Too. You need to know that yes. when you come to YOLO, you can be like, I got a bad vibe today and this shit is hard. Yes. Absolutely. And that is welcome here. Absolutely. You know, one of the things we do in our um, trainings, we open them up and we say that, like, we have a little affirmation and we tell, have people look at each other and say that, like, your voice is welcome here, your heart is welcome mm-hmm. here, your spirit is welcome here, and I'm so glad that you came. Yes. And it's really like saying that, like, we're welcoming and inviting all 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 the people who are in the room. Right. Does it mean that like when you come up in the room, there we're still not gonna be like there might be still boundaries that yeah. you need to address in the midst of how you show up. Absolutely. But you're welcome here. Yes. And but and we will hold boundaries as need to be right. in the context of how you're welcome here. Right. You know what I mean? So I think that like there is something because and, and going back to the queer black men, you know, so many of us are living with depression, living with anxiety, whether diagnosed or not. Right. 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 Like and once again, it's trying to teach us something, mm-hmm. you know, like, so like, it's trying to show us something and, uh, and like we, and we'll, some of us will live with depression and chronic anxiety all our lives. Yes, right. Absolutely. And like, you know, I think there's something so powerful about the different perspectives we have on mental health. So like people talk about anxiety as a superpower, mm-hmm. right? There is something about like being able to anticipate the future and scenarios that anxiety cultivates for you. That's really powerful. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then the same time it can be when, um, when not necessarily in balance, it can be hard because it also creates chronic stress on our body. Yes. It can create, um, it can make us sometimes um, ex- assume situations or scenarios will be more um, amplified than they than they are in yes. the practical, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to like recognize these things can still be tools that can teach us things, right? But also understanding where does anxiety come from? Yes. Sometimes it's from a past trauma. Mm-hmm. I experienced, like I have anxiety about um, dating this guy because I dated a guy like him and now I'm scared. Right. So that anxiety is real. Yeah. Right. Or depression coming from, you know, things aren't working the way I want to, or like things didn't happen the way I want to, or sometimes even deep rooted things we don't know. I'm a big believer in like, you know, sometimes we're, I believe that what we now call, what we call mental illness is not, I don't like that frame because I think that like what's happening is that often it is the presence of, depression, anxiety, people living with bipolar disorder, it's not like this, something's wrong with you. I feel like it's the universe calling us to say, like, this is harm that has happened. This mm-hmm. is hurt. Mm-hmm. And it's hurt. It's not just representative of this person, but also this person's community and yeah. family. And then, like, the call in is to say, 
what is happening in this family, in this lineage, in this community that needs to be healed yeah. and supported. Yeah. Not like what's wrong with you that needs to be fixed. What needs to be healed and supported yeah. that is showing up in my schizophrenia, in my bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. in my depression. And if we approached it that way, we would have a whole less like, you know, like um less mental health stigma, yeah. right? But it's a calling in to 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 being attentive to something. You know, one of the things that um for me that's always really helpful is um two things and it's not and like once again there's no one size fits all we talk about depression or mm-hmm. any mental health condition or reality is um there's two things I always go back to one is um someone told me that depression is creativity unexpressed mm. and I thought woo I thought that was just a huge for me yeah because it was like saying that depression is can be not always right 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 can be sometimes this like you know there's another one from the Gnostic Gospels from Jesus and it says if you use what is within you, what is within you will save you. Mm. If you do not use what it was, what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. Mm. You know, come on. And so I think about that in terms come of the life on. force, the creativity, and depression. Sometimes showing up in ways in which, as black people, as women, as queer people, as trans folks, we have been pushed to not express that creativity of who we are. Yeah. And that sometimes that can show up in depression. Right. Like I've not been allowed. Like say when someone's not allowed to show the fullness of the spectrum of their gender and like, the way they want to show up in the world, mm-hmm. right? That that is traumatizing. Right. And that can show up. That's, that's repressed creativity. Mm-hmm. Another d- thing with depression that's really, really powerful for me is depression is um, anger against the self. Mm-hmm. You know? The ways in which, particularly people who are caretakers and nurturers, we're mad at ourselves for... And not forgiving of ourselves for the choices that we've made. Yeah. You know, I, I find a lot of people like, you know, say like, well, are you mad at him? Or are you mad at you? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a little bit of both. But a lot of people are like angry at themselves. Like, I should have been better than this. I should have known better. I should have did this. I should have, would have, could have, could have. And you're beating yourself up about choices you made yesterday with the assumption that's going to help you heal today. And it doesn't. Right. You know what I mean? And so I think about like sometimes with that is like, how do I forgive myself? How do I hold that my behavior choices have impact consequences? But how do I recognize the context of them? Forgive myself enough to let the energy flow through so that I can amend what I can today mm-hmm. in this moment. You know? Mm-hmm. So those are like things I go back to often when I'm like feeling low. Like, how do I forgive myself? Because I'm hard on myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold myself to a lot of standards. And people be like, yo, that's a really high standard to right. hold yourself to. Right. But, and I have to like re-ground myself and be like, okay, girl, let's calm down. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you need to have more grounded perspective. I've actually never met a Libra that didn't hold themselves to a high standard. Right. Well, I think that like that's a piece. I think that like Libra, we are the sign of the other mm-hmm. so that there's a there's a couple there's a lot of strategies that we use that are sometimes helpful but sometimes harmful yeah and sometimes libras can very much so we we want to get our validation through other people sometimes mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. that's one thing i've had to learn to mm-hmm. do like so if you like me then i like me right that's a toxic fucked up way yes of it is very you know what I mean? and it's also a way of living which i've chosen throughout my life and be like what the fuck is this right as opposed to let me validate myself and feel good about this yeah first. yeah yeah and yeah. then if you validate and like me that's great too right but i need to like this but shit i need to first. like yes i need to like myself absolutely first. and i think that like um um, that's not the way once again we're taught in culture we're taught if you like me I'm okay I need you right. like me you like me you like me yeah. and oftentimes these are people who have that people pleasing nature mm-hmm. it's because there's a deep disdain and dislike for self yes you know yes and shame around self mm-hmm. you know like um, I'm talking earlier about shame shame is such a powerful tool for knowledge and understanding mm-hmm. right like you know when, I, when we shame our, when I find myself in a place of shame as opposed to guilt or these pieces what is that trying to tell me? Like, shame is often, like, I think, perpetuated. A lot of times people feel shame because they feel like they're the only one. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like, it's just me. 
And it's like, I always tell people that, like, you're never alone in your experience. Yeah. Never. Like, you know, like, even, like, there are people who either want to empathize or understand, but there's sometimes people who have been through some dimension mm-hmm. of what you are experiencing. You know, you're never isolated alone that way. I yes. Mean, it's, it's hard. Even in our very hyper-connected culture, we don't even get that sometimes. Right. You know what I mean? We still think it's just, it's just me. I'm the only person on Instagram who scrolls through and is like, <laughs> why the fuck is everybody else at goddamn beach having a good life and I feel like shit in the bed right now? You know what I mean? You're not the only one. Yeah. Right? You know? Um, and I think that's so important and so, yeah, it's so healing, you know? I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Beam because we were uh, talking about mental health. First of all, I wanted to, to, going back to what you were saying as far as mental illness, it's so funny you would say that because we did an episode months ago where we titled it Healing Through Mental Illness. Mm-hmm. Bothered me ever since. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was like, it was very funny that you would bring that up because I haven't said it since, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know why it bothered me the way it did. But after we did the recording, uh, because the person who we had on the show was someone who worked, and he said, and uh, worked with people who are battling mental illness. So I guess out of respect for what he was saying as far as what his work was, yeah, we absolutely. named it after that. Absolutely. But afterwards, I was like, I don't really feel comfortable with that. You know, that's, that's not necessarily the way that I see it. Mm-hmm. I do mental health work. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm in. It's not necessarily mental illness. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to bring that up. But... And speaking of Beam, I think that it's beautiful, the work that you're doing. So I just wanted you to share with our misfits really quick about how, once again, the seed was planted in your mind to begin Beam and what it looks like for you in a day-to-day basis with the work that you do. Yeah. So, you know, the biggest thing about Beam is I recognize that we, the unlearning I talked about earlier, like the, the need to like relearn, we need an institution. I feel like I need an institution for mm-hmm. myself, but also for the community that was not just giving us the rhetoric around mental health and healing, justice, but giving us skills. Right. Because it's one thing to say that, like, you know, I understand something intellectually about my trauma, my harm, but it's another thing to have the actual behavior to actually embody, mm-hmm. right? Who, how, how do you train me to role play, to learn through a cognitive behavioral process to actually be different in the world, mm-hmm. right? And so that's really at the heart of what BEAM is. A big part of our work is, like, we all, as black people in this country, have learned things that have been survival tactics and coping strategies some of them have been disastrous Mm -hmm. right some of them have helped us get through but like as we're trying to grow in our communities as we're trying to create more love more healing more inclusivity they don't work they don't work for that yeah and so i said like i need to create an entity that can help us model build the skills Mm -hmm. that accompanies the language and the discourse so that we can actually show up differently for our loved ones and for ourselves, yeah. right? And so our work is really, you know, we see ourselves as a training and technical assistance institution because we train people on the ground who are black folks, teachers, educators, mental health workers to be like, how do I show up differently based off of this understanding of like my own shit? Yeah. But also this unlearning some of the toxic shit that sometimes Western psychology can teach, Right. right. So, so we do a lot of trainings. We have trainings like mental health and masculinity. We have our black mental health and healing justice training. People come to those trainings and the black mental health, for example, is two days. The training is really geared towards one, helping you assess what, what is, what is your stuff and how is your stuff showing up in your work? Right. And then the second piece of it is like, now that you've got some grasp in your stuff, here's some skills and tools about some really healing justice centered ways to show up 
that can help people mm-hmm. in ways that aren't about fostering codependency, yeah. that aren't about fostering rescuing people, right. and not about martyring yourself, because those are all strategies that we've learned in caretaking, right? Yeah. So it's a large part of our work. And then, of course, we do a lot of support. We support organizations across the country who are doing healing work in black communities, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, Lorenzo Lewis, who's like in Little Rock, Arkansas, going to barbershops talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, we have um, Community Roots Clinic here in Atlanta. Um, we gave them money to support. They do like herbal, herbal, herbal consults for young queer young youth who are mm-hmm. homeless, right? Giving them like herbs and tea and different things to help them with ailments when they don't have access to healthcare and pieces, right? Yeah, yeah. Like really um, innovative and transformative pro- thing, ways of thinking about healing justice and right. Health, you know, so um, it's kind of my work. Um, on, a, on a, any given day, I have a lot of phone calls. Like I'm talking to people across the country, but I'm also building curricula. We're also traveling to different sites. Um, sometimes I'm I'm in California. Recently, I was at Watts Healthcare Corporation. Shout out to them doing work with them. Um, prior to that, like sometimes I'll be in rural Alabama at a training, right? Working with an organization in a church there, right. or I'll be like in Texas. So like if we go where the work is needed, but our real goal is to like wherever we go, we leave tools and skills and strategies that people can carry onto their communities that go beyond us. Right. And so like if you go to our website, you just go to um, beam.community, you'll see the toolkits page and there's like downloadable tools and there's videos and we want people to take those and print them out and share them and have conversations in their own communities, right? Yeah. One of my favorite tools is um, the Beam Healing and Accountability Wheel. And I don't know if you've ever seen it before. Mm-hmm. So what happened is um, in our work, we said people always, we're always talking about relationships and like people have all this idea of what not to do in a relationship. Right. What would it be for us to create a tool that could actually show people um, and ideas of what loving relationships would look like. Right. And so we created that, we created the Healing Accountability Wheel. And it's a wheel that has several different sections and you can go to our website and find it. Um, and each section is kind of a different part of relationships. One part is like pleasure and consent. Another one is communicating um, and, and, um, and, and affirming feelings, mm-hmm. right? And then each section has like things that you would do that we feel like would be respectful in relationships. One of them is like um, not ghosting, showing up, admitting, mm-hmm. saying that I need time away and acknowledging that. Yes. And what would it be like if we lived in that world? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's aspirational. Right. Saying that we want to reach those things. Um, not projecting intent onto a partner's choices. Mm-hmm. What is it? What would that look like? When I, you know, you know how that. When I say projecting a 10, it's like, oh, Raven, you did that because you always do this and because you feel this way. I don't know why you made that choice. Right. Right. So maybe I need to ask you and talk to you about Listen, what that choice how is about you. How about it? <laughs> and, and, and try to on and hear you. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Um, validating someone's experience, even if you disagree with their perspective. Right. So your experience and your, your is valid, is real, even if I have a different experience in that moment. Yeah. Both of those can coexist. We've been taught that, like, you know, I have to dominate and say, like, this is the truth. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the truth is subjective. Yes, it is. You know what I mean? It's 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 it, there. There's the there's the practical behavior, material consequences of truth, which mm-hmm. is one thing. But then there's like the subjective pieces, like you know why that happened, the emotional texture of what that happened. Versus like so like if I drop this water bottle, we both can say I dropped the water bottle, right? And right. Go, that's 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 a material truth. Yeah. But the emotional truth is you dropped that water bottle because you pissed off at so and so, and you did right. that. Like, no, I did that. So the emotional truth is a, a little more subjective, yeah. right? In terms yeah. of what the choice was, even as the material, we can see that that was a consequence. Right of what happened. This this thing fell. Yeah. Right. Or you put your hands on me. You threw that. That hit the wall. Like you know, those are right. Real material realities. Right. So um. So that's kind of the things, the tools that we create to really kind of like ground us in imagining and even envisioning. Mm-hmm. And I'm always trying to get us as not just as black women, but as black folks to think that like 
what does the world look like when we are having all the love that we need? Yeah. That we want? What does the world look like when we are honoring each other and affirming each other? And like, how do we, what do we need to do actively to create and conjure that world? Yeah. You know? What has Beam done for you after you created this wonderful organization? What has it done for you spiritually, emotionally, mentally to be able to give back in this way? Yeah. Beam is it's not like, you know, it's never a top-down approach in terms of teaching mm-hmm. right, or facilitating, right? I'm always learning from the people that I'm encountering every mm. single day. They're teaching me, they're growing me, they're challenging me. And so as I do the healing work, I am healed, but also I am learning. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's been a good thing to Beam has been great because it's helped me see that I'm living in my purpose. The universe is kind of affirming this is what you are here to do, one of the things you are here to do. Yeah. Um, and but it's also it teaches me. Yeah. You know, when I go to I was in like um where God Panama City, Florida, or Ocala, Florida, or I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm talking to people on the ground who are already doing amazing healing work. That's one thing that's very clear. It's, Beam isn't about like, you know, giving people it's about giving people some skills, yes, but it's also about expanding the skills that we have. Because mm-hmm. black folks have been healers for a long time. Yeah, man. We've been doing this work for a long time. Yeah. We got a lot of tools and strategies, some of them which needs to be re- revised and updated. Right. But a lot that are just wonderful. Yeah. And so I'm always learning new things about like, you know, herbs and chakras and, you know, the spirit and like, you know, even how church is doing amazing work. So it's growing me and becoming more skilled and precise in the work that I'm doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? and, and also more skilled and precise in my own healing work. Yeah. You know, absolutely. So I wanted to close in talking about yoga. And because a lot of people, at least a lot of people I know, don't usually combine the two when thinking of yoga and thinking about mental wellness. That's interesting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you about that, about what your experience has been like uh, when you were first introduced to yoga mm-hmm. and how it has helped and healed you when it comes to your mental wellness. Yes. yes. So I always, I'm always reticent about citing studies when I don't have the exact name of the studies, but... There, there is, there is some literature that I have come across yeah. that strongly suggests that African Americans in this country have high rates of somaticization. Mm. And when we say somaticization, that means that like I may not necessarily um, process the feeling or the emotion through my mind, but it shows up in my body. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times the thing that shows up in black elders or black communities where it's like, you know, you have an auntie or an elder, her shoulders always hurt. You go to the doctor, nothing wrong with your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Nothing I can detect, detect yeah. medically. But, but you know, when my shoulder starts to hurt, it hurts on the anniversary when my cousin was killed. Wow. It hurts on the anniversary that my mother died. It hurts when that time I got hit by, in a car accident or right. something happened to me. So it's like the ways in which our pain and harm shows up in the body. Mm-hmm. Because the body is once again another tool, another mechanism that is teaching us, right? Yeah. And so when I think about yoga, the importance of yoga as a healing modality for our overall mental wellness is one that's connecting us back with our bodies. Because as black folks, we've been disassociated from our bodies. Our bodies are still being policed mm-hmm. and assaulted and like, you know, in all these ways as black women, you know, as black trans women, as black queer men. And so there's a... So when yoga is saying, get back in our body, get connected to that body, that is the healing, right? Recognize this harm has happened, moving through the vinyasa flow, the asanas, to really, um, to move through that energy, Mm -hmm. right? Like to like help transmute that energy into something, because like, it almost is like it gets trapped in pockets and it becomes to block our auras and our energy, right? Yeah. And so it's extremely important for our mental health, especially for us as black folks, because once again, embodiment is something that um, 
we as all people we grapple with right yeah. you know what i mean and i think that like you know i think about embodiment in different a lot of ways and like coping strategies that we have in our communities around food and our relationship to food right like mm-hmm. i know for me i found myself like recently i was talking to a friend about this recognizing that i was using my food to numb my feeling mm. you know what i mean like that when i'm eating i'm eating out of anxiety or i'm eating because i'm feeling anxiety so i think if i eat enough I won't feel as anxious because I feel the, the lethargy right. that comes along with overeating. Yeah. Right? Which I think in our communities is a common coping Absolutely. strategy, right? Yes. And so it wasn't for me about like shaming that. It was more about learning, okay, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. I want to do something else. Mm-hmm. I want to have a different relationship to food. Mm-hmm. What is the ongoing work? Because it's not going to end today or tomorrow. Right. What's the ongoing work that I need to do to develop a different relationship to food so that I don't feel like I'm doing this out of anxiety and numbing my feeling? And it was really interesting when I started like paying attention to like when I was going to the fridge for that food and that I was like, okay, what am I feeling? And I'd be like, who am I? I'm starting to recognize I'm like, oh, I'm feeling sad right now. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling frustrated right now. Why are you feeling sad and frustrated? So I would journal. Or I would do some yoga, some meditation, yeah. right? Which is just a different strategy to cope. Yes. And that strategy, and that strategy um, helped me learn more about myself. Mm-hmm. Whereas the food piece, you know, I taste, I was eating good now. Right. <laughs> but I wasn't necessarily as aware of what was going on with me because I was numbing it. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, it's a coping strategy. And I think that all of our coping strategies can teach us. And um, and still have places sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, I'm finna have this apple girl and this ice cream because these niggas get on my nerves. <laughs> not saying we're eradicating any any coping strategy, right? Right. It's sometimes you need to just get you an ice cream cone because you just like, look, right. It's been a day, nigga. Right. It's been a day. You and, know? and enjoy yourself. And enjoy yourself. And let that be okay. Right. You know that's what you're doing. Yeah. Right? And then like and then like understanding that you have a. It's a plethora of coping strategies we need. We need more mm-hmm. diverse coping strategies, yes. right? We don't need to shame or minimize certain ones. Right. We need diverse ones and we need healthy relationships to those ones that we have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Come on now. You know, I can keep talking to you. But um, <laughs> if our misfits want to walk with you on social media, how would they go about doing that? Well, they can definitely follow me on Twitter at Yolo Akili, Y-O-L-O-A-K-I-L-I. I I definitely encourage everyone to go to our website, www.beam, that's beam.community. And if you go to the top of the page, it says Toolkits and Education. We have a lot of free stuff you can download, share. I just, like, you know, if you want to just have conversations wherever you are, check it out. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And then, of course, same thing for Twitter, Yolo Akili, Beam.org. You can follow us on Facebook as well. It's um, underscore B-E-A-M org on twitter as well as instagram you know follow us um connect with us talk to us we love to be in conversation awesome thank you so much for coming to the healing space thank you for having me in the healing space thank you for the work that you are doing thank you promoting these conversations thank you and like creating a space more because we need we need as many people in this work as we can right (laughs) there are folks that you are reaching that that need to hear the, the, the truth, the honesty, the vulnerability that you bring into the conversation. Yeah. And I hope you know that and hold that. And I and then like I know because I know this is healing. It's always the healing is helping us heal too. Yeah. But you're also helping a lot of people in their processes and their journey. Yeah. So gratitude and grateful for you. You're not gonna make me emotional. We're gonna go now. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back with good news. And now it is time for good news. So before we get into good news, I wanted to once again thank Yolo Akili Robinson for an awesome conversation. I enjoyed it thoroughly and I hope that you did as well. So 
The first thing I want to share with you guys is something I've talked about for the past couple of weeks, which is the Storytellers Book Club starting again. And I let you guys know that as of December 1st, we begin our first book. That book is The Art of Being Present, Mindfulness Meditation for Work and Life by its creator and writer, Edie Raphael, PhD, who is my sensei. So that is the very first book for the Storytellers uh, Storytellers Book Club, which you can find on Facebook. Hopefully, if you go and type in Storytellers Book Club, it'll come up as the only thing. But <laughs> I've come to realize that Storytellers is like, if you type in Storytellers, all types of things come up on Facebook. So type in Storytellers Book Club, and hopefully you'll find what it is that you're looking for. And join in with us in reading the book, which you can actually find on Amazon to purchase. I myself am a huge proponent of physical books. I love the feel, the smell. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, no knock to those of you who are Kindle fans or, you know, like to open up your iPad and read books there. It does not work for me, but more power to you. <laughs> However you go about it, join us. Uh, I plan to keep the book club going and we'll have new books that we'll be reading throughout 2019. So I'm looking forward to it. That is awesome. And my second bit of good news is that uh, I've talked a lot with you guys about the uh, new job that I have. A job that was a long time coming, <laughs> as anyone who listens to the podcast is aware. Uh, but the blessing that I get to actually work in mental health and wellness and working with those young adults, I've now began to bring in my yoga and fitness and it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be able to help them with these coping skills to be able to center themselves more through yoga and fitness. And yes, there's a lot of uh, aches and pains that go along <laughs> when you're not as physically fit as you should be. So, uh, but they're enjoying the journey. They're enjoying the journey and that excites me. And I make sure to let them know that they don't need to get ahead of themselves. No one should be trying. It's not a competition, you know, uh, flow at your own pace. When we're in the gym, only go as hard as you can go. Don't tell yourself that you should do something that you don't have to. It's a journey. Focus on the journey, not getting towards the finish line. So I'm loving this this new chapter in what it is I'm doing at my job, uh, helping them on several different levels when it comes to wellness and centering. So that's a blessing. That's great news, not just good news. So yeah, if you guys would like to walk with us on social media, that is THS Podcast on Instagram as well as Facebook and underscore THS Podcast on Twitter. If you'd like to walk with me, that is Scorpiogi across all platforms. You can also, of course, go to our official website, which is THSPodcast.com, where you'll be able to listen to all of our past episodes. You can also find us across most podcast platforms because, you know, you can get heels everywhere. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining the healing space. We greatly appreciate all of you out there in the Misfit universe. Thank you so much for your love, your light, and your dedication to this mental health podcast. We love you. And I can't wait to bring you another installment of The Healing Space next week. So until then, be good to one another. Spread love. Namaste. Namaste.